Have you ever awed? Not A H H H H. Not ah, oh, but A W E. Ah. It's just a small word for such a extensive thing. It's not defined in specifics, but in vastness. Awe can come at any moment, in any circumstance, with, with any variety of emotional responses. It's not the result of one thing. It's not A plus B equals C, this thing plus that thing equaling awe. You know, it's a, a posture It's the posture and the experience of a person who is flabbergasted by what they are experiencing. Awe can be both delighting and terrifying. It is soothing, but it can also be frightening. Awe. Perhaps you have had an experience of awe in your life. Maybe it took place in a grand cathedral or in a thin space at summer camp, in a hospital room, at the dining room table, at a sunrise or a sunset, or maybe you, for the first time, really caught the eyes of someone that you know very well. In a series on listening, we, uh, it can be all too easy to focus on the, um, our attention on our ears. But really, it is our whole being that listens. You see, to listen is to just give one's attention to something. And we are not only attentive with our ears, often we are attentive with our guts, our nervous system is attentive and observant. Our heart knows things sometimes before we know them for real. I think this is what is involved in awe. A whole body attentiveness, a whole spirit awareness, a listening that goes beyond our eardrums and the bones of our middle ear, and it goes into the fibers of our being. And this is where we find the prophet Isaiah. Here we find Isaiah in awe. Uh, This next part of our series on listen has been paying attention to the prophets as they heard or listened to God and then responded to what God asked or responded to what God said with their whole beings. And so I invite you um, to open your books to Isaiah. It's about um, here in your Bible. All right, Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Uh, it's grouped with a, with a couple different prophets. Prophets were people who God called to give a specific message to a specific people at a specific time. And what is so miraculous about that is that God used that specific person for that specific instance in that specific time to actually speak to people thousands and thousands of years later, us, here, right now. And so would you turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and we will start reading um, in verse 1. And I want you to pay attention to this experience of awe. Isaiah 6, 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I, by the way, is not Britta. Uh, The I is Isaiah. 
I saw the Lord high and exalted seating, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is a a holy moment. Uh, Of all the moments that are recorded in scripture, this one is is profound. It it sticks. There are songs written about this one. There's there's lots of images painted and created about this one. This is a, a holy moment. But before we move on to anything that Isaiah might need to hear or that God might say, I want us to sit in this holy moment. The series on listening is so easy to use just our ears, but I want us to use our bodies today. We have invited you to consider a practice of listening that you might participate in here, of course, but also at home or at work or in the car. I think you could do this. Yes, you could do this practice uh, in the car. And that practice um, for this next month is called Centering Prayer. There are cards um, out there if you would like one. Centering prayer invites you to kind of settle in both to your body and to your soul and to your spirit to listen to what God might say, not with your ears, but with your body. So I am going to lead us before we ever move beyond this holy place as explained in the book of Isaiah. I want us to center And so, would you go to God with me in prayer? God, we ask that we would remember an awe moment. Would you draw that to our attention Would you reveal the things around us, both currently and at that time of awe? And now we settle on perhaps one thing. We center on one thing. In that awe moment, that our ears, our eyes, our hearts, our gut responds to. As you sit with that one thing, invite your breathing to slow down a bit.
And as you center your focus on that one thing of awe, would it become a symbol for your desire to be present to God? If you notice some things coming into your mind that don't have to do with that awe moment, you can welcome them, say thank you for them, and then invite them on their way. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. If it's helpful to write down that awe place or that awe moment, I invite you to do so. Maybe even in the margins of your Bible that you may not forget. So we have Isaiah in this awe moment. I also hope you might attend to your awe moment. And Isaiah, in experiencing this grandness, this holiness, this one-on-one, well, one-on-one creature created experience but also with these seraphim flying around this like moment something happens to isaiah if we pick up the reading again this this grand thing has occurred and then uh, in verse five isaiah says this woe to me i cried i am Ruined, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from an altar. When he touched my mouth, uh, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. We'll pause there. Isaiah, in this grand moment of awe, is very aware of his humanity. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. This is not worthy for all of this. Me as a human being is not worthy for all of this. And so a live coal is taken from an altar and placed on his lips. Now this is, we could imagine a metaphor, but I don't think that's what this is. This is a true burning of his lips. Have you burned 
a part of your body before. You know uh, the excruciating pain of that. You know the time and the process of, of healing for that. You know the blistering soreness of that. Now remember, this took place on his mouth, the very sensitive part of the body. But this too is awe. It's awe. And then we have this moment of awe. We have this moment of, of pain. The pain has a purpose. We, we have this moment of pain. And then, and then, God begins speaking. Verse 8. Then I heard a voice. This is Isaiah speaking. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? We are in this holy place, this place of awe, and here there are questions, not demands, questions. I'm struck by the idea that God asks Isaiah questions. In a scene that depicts one of the most holy and grand and reverent depictions of God that we have recorded in the scripture, I would expect his majesty to tell Isaiah what to do. That God would give a command in the midst of this awe-filled moment. That Isaiah would be completely coerced by his flabbergastedness that he would comply. Who knows what would happen if he said no. More coals, uh, more seraphim and holiness, or maybe it would be retribution, rejection, disappointment. But God does not make a demand. God does not even make a request. God does not make a request. God asks two questions. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Some people would say that these are rhetorical. That it's more for poetry's sake uh, than anything else. That, of course, Isaiah would have to say yes uh, because God knew that Isaiah would say yes. And, And so he asked the question to make it seem like Isaiah had a choice. But really, Isaiah had no choice at all. This is a a cynical way to read the text. And and there are gifts in cynicism. Maybe you write that down. You walk away with the sermon of only that. That's just fine. There are gifts uh, with cynicism. But but what if that's not what's going on here? What if God is genuinely asking the question? What if God is entirely interested in Isaiah's response? What if God is actually interested in honoring a human's ability to make their own choices. There is something about God asking humans questions, particularly when we're talking about listening to God, which is what we're spending the whole fall talking about. We and me quickly assume and even act on our assumptions that listening to God means asking God questions and waiting for God's response. That I may need something from God, and so I will ask and I will wait and I will listen until that response comes to me or not, as Pastor Scott highlighted last week. That's not exclusively a biblical model of of God's interaction with humanity. That's not exclusively a biblical model for listening to God. You see, because God is constantly asking questions. In the Old Testament, 
God asks these questions. In Genesis 3, he asks, where are you? And what is this you have done? In Genesis 16, he asks, where have you come from and where are you going? In Genesis 32, he asks, what is your name? In Exodus 4, he asks, what is that in your hand? In 1 Kings 19, he asks, what are you doing here? In Job uh, 38, he asks, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? In Jonah chapter 4, he says, do you have a reason to be angry? In Ezekiel 37, he says, son of man, can these bones live? And in Isaiah 6, he asks, whom shall I send? And then there's the New Testament, all right? Old Testament is, is pre-Jesus. New Testament is Jesus and beyond. And with Jesus on the scene, there are a lot of questions. You see, in the Gospels, the, the first four books of the New Testament, this, these are the books all about uh, Jesus and his ministry. Jesus is asked 187 questions. And he answers three of them specifically. He answers five of them generally, right? Like giving an answer without giving an answer, which is so Jesus, isn't it? Uh, and then that leaves, if I've done my math correctly and I checked this twice, that leaves 179, right, questions that go unanswered by Jesus. That's a lot of unanswered questions. Even more than that, Jesus himself asks 307 Questions that we have recorded in scripture. He asks questions like, do you worry? Or why are you afraid? Or do you believe that I can do this? Or who do you say that I am? He asks, what is it that you want? Why are you bothering this woman? Are you asleep? The answer is yes. Or we'd like to try. Uh, why have you forsaken me? What do you want me to do for you? Listening to God isn't always to get an answer. Sometimes it is to receive a question. And there is something about this relationship of listening that may leave us with more questions than answers. More questions asked by God than answers given by God. Anyone frustrated? This leads me to believe that, not that God is interested in frustrating us, but that God is curious about us. God is curious about what we think, how we feel, how we are in a moment. God wants to know our honest-to-goodness response to the things that are going on and the things that God is interested in. And I think this is the free will part of being human. I like to say that along with the breath in our lungs, the first gift that the creator gave to us was free will, the ability to choose. We are not puppets in the schemes of a controlling, domineering overlord. We are stewards of this gift called autonomy. And God is interested in what's going on in our brains and in our hearts and in our lives and in our choices. God is curious. 
And some might be asking, well, if God knows everything, doesn't he know what our response is going to be? Doesn't God know the choices we will make? Couldn't God make you make the choice that you are about to make? And my answer to that question is yes, and. Yes, and. God has the ability to be aware of your choices, And yes, God knows uh, before we give our response what our response might be. But God is not interested simply in the outcome of things. That our response would be a certain way. No, God is interested in relationship. And relationship requires free will from both parties. God is interested in a relationship with you and with me. And so God is going to have a lot of questions in this relationship. We're not the only ones with the questions. I want you to imagine uh, going on your first date with someone and, and they have a specific way of doing this. Imagine this first date And the person you're going on a date with is telling you everything you have to do and how you have to do it for the entire date. You will wear this. You will walk like this. You will sit here. This is the food you will order. You may not eat this dessert. You must get a lime in your water. And then from across the table, all they do is talk about themselves and their accomplishments or even worse, how everything you're doing is wrong and you have to do it their way. Okay, any self-respecting human would get up from the table and leave, right? I implore you, if you ever find yourself on a date like this or in a situation like this, just get up and leave. A good first date involves a lot of questions. A good first date requires a lot of curiosity. Even more, a good relationship of any kind requires curiosity. You see, I ask questions of my friends because I actually want to know what's going on in their life. I ask my kids questions because I would like to get more in tune with their ideas and their perspectives on things, even if their perspective is wrong. Sometimes it's cute. I ask questions of my husband often, not uh, just the, did you take out the trash questions? And the answer is always yes, by the way. Uh, The answer is always yes. But but I also ask the, the deeper questions. How is this going for you? It's kind of curiosity. Curiosity, when nurtured in a relationship, it, it could lead, it does, lead toward health. Listening to and responding to God isn't always for the sake of an answer. Sometimes it's for the sake of the question and for the sake of the relationship. Sometimes that question is meant to prompt something for you or or prompt something for the sake of others. Maybe for clarity in the relationship or maybe for clarity of purpose. You see, God asks these questions for our benefit. God asks for our involvement, our participation, our interest, our perspective, our wholeness. We are not puppets. We are friends. And to be clear, when God asks questions, God is not captivated by a deceitful response. 
God is not interested in what we think we should say so as to make God happy or to appease God. God wants our actual reply, even if it's just the reply for the moment, not the final answer. As I've considered this notion of God's way of of relating to us through questions, a vivid memory came to me. One of the portions of my seminary education uh, was to serve as a chaplain in a hospital uh, for a period of time. And we were supervised by a permanent chaplain. We were given these pagers and we were trained on the appropriate protocol for our presence and also our spiritual response to people who were in crisis. A time of receiving terrible news, a time of death, a time of, uh, of, um, of cardiac arrest. It was about a month into the program that uh, the chaplain office received a request for a chaplain to attend to a mother and a family who had given birth to a stillborn baby. And my supervisor asked me to go. And this was not a whom shall I send kind of a moment in the eyes of my supervisor, but I, as I've reflected back on this moment, I'm certain that this was a whom shall I send kind of moment for me. She asked me to go and attend to the family, and I said, basically, these might not have been my exact words, but it was my sentiment, I don't want to go, and I don't know how. And now this woman, my supervisor, she was a compassionate woman, but she was very frank. And in response, she said with clarity, God wants to go to them, and you can join God. It was my choice. She was not going to force me. It's not so that I met the the requirements of the chaplain internship that I go and be with this family. She just said, God wants to go to them. You could join God. I went to meet with the family, and what happened is I met God. I joined God in what God was doing. God was already with them, and I just got to be a part of it. It was awful. It was awful. And it was also full of awe. I could join God, especially in the places and spaces of deep pain and loss and sorrow, and you better believe it, questions. I could join God. After an experience of awe and reverence of Isaiah's repentance at the inadequacy of his being and then his redemption by way of burning and pain. God asks Isaiah a question and Isaiah's response is, here I am, send me. This is Isaiah 6, 8, the second half of verse 8. God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. But let us not forget that Isaiah's response is coming through blistered lips. 
If you've ever experienced a burn, you know how utterly painful it is. But even that pain on his mouth, which would require him to move that painful part so that he could speak, even through the pain, Isaiah cannot help but respond to God's voice. And through that pain, Isaiah is very clear. He says, I will join you, God. Here I am. Send me. God then says to Isaiah, this is verses 9 uh, through 13. I'll summarize them. He says, go and tell the people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. This sounds nothing like listening, does it? Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and be turned and to be healed. And then I, this is Isaiah, says, For how long, Lord? This is going to be painful. And the Lord answers, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants. Until the houses are left deserted and the fields are ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid to waste. It will again be laid to waste. God was clear with Isaiah, this is going to be painful. And the words that you are going to say through your blistered lips are not going to be always joyful. Are you listening to me, Isaiah? God was clear. And I imagine in Isaiah's being, he may have been feeling like, I I don't want to. I don't know how to do this. But God was asking a question. Will you join me? No matter how painful it might be. Will you be sent by me? Will you go for us? I wonder for you. If you were to receive a question from God. If you were to listen to God and wonder about a question that God might have for you, what would that question be? Where are you? Where have you come from and where are you going? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Do you have a reason to be angry? Do you worry? Do you believe that I can do this? Who do you say that I am? What do you want me to do for you? I've been wondering this question all week long. And I had even written into the sermon, tell the congregation the question God gave you. (laughs) Very much silliness now. I've yet to come to clarity with the question that God might be asking me specifically right now in this time, in this place. But I am listening. I'm listening. And I want you to keep me accountable in my listening. 
Hey, has God asked you a question yet? I welcome those questions. What question would God ask you today or tomorrow if it doesn't come today or five years from now if it doesn't come tomorrow? What question is God asking you or what questions is God asking you? In Isaiah 6, God asks, whom shall I send? Will you join me? I want you to consider your response to that. And don't respond quickly, but respond faithfully and honestly. Let's join God at the table. Would you pray with me? God, this is in no way easy, and we don't know if we can do it. We don't even know if we want to do it. But God, you want us. You just want us. And you want us to join you. And so we listen. And God, I thank you for this place where we are reminded again and again of our joining with you. Where you offer yourself to us and we partake of you in an act of faith, in an act of repentance, in an act of hope, in an act of sending. And so would this meal nourish our bodies and our souls? Will it nourish our listening ears and our listening bodies? Would it fill up those spaces of unattentiveness and bring us into attention? We're interested in your holy presence here. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.